Hey, JT, how you doing? I'm fantastic, dude. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, like this is my Zen moment of the day. When I do have a recording like that, I have a five-year-old and a, a five-month-old puppy dog. And she slip, the dog is sleeping right next to me. The son is sleeping on the second floor. And so when I look at the camera, like five from eight, and I see that my son finally lays down and, you know, like he's like quiet and, you know, like peaceful. And I go downstairs in my kind of my studio slash man cave and start this recording. I feel fantastic. <laughs> That's great news, dude. <laughs> Just switch it off and, and get it. Exactly. Get into your, your That's zone, my, right? and it's funny because we're moving and I'm all about, I'm all thinking I wanted to buy like, well, I did buy like, um, almost like from a thrift shop, um, the, like a, a nice looking chair, but just so far from being like super comfy. Um, my next place has, it's going to be like a multifunctional room that, you know, like I'm going to be using for my, uh, work, you know, like my days, uh, work days, office, uh, home office. And, um, it's going to be a part for my quote unquote studio. And I'm going to be buying like, just like late back <laughs> like, yeah, nice comfy stuff <laughs> exactly yeah just like like yeah it, i don't know what it's gonna be but you know like i i'm i'm planning on getting rid of these chairs and just getting like the the most comfiest or at least um even like like huge bean bags would probably do you know like so yeah um, i'm gonna look a bit slack on the camera but you know like i don't care <laughs> Oh, I, comfort is key, man. I'm all about like f functional comfortability over fashion and yeah. aesthetic any day. Exactly. Um, every week um, since last March, I've been pretty much asking the same question. And, you know, like there is, there's a, you know, specific reason for it. You know, like I, I, I want to kind of take the pulse of how people are doing, but um the question is a bit twofold. Um, where are you located, JT, and um, how has been the pandemic so far for you? I am located just west of Toronto. Uh, uh, Mississauga is the city, but it's a little community called Port Credit right on the lake. And I've been having a pretty great pandemic so far, honestly, Alex. And sometimes I feel guilty about that because... You know, even just in my own family, a lot of my family and, and friends and loved ones, they're struggling, you know, with, you know, just their mental health and job and finances and stuff like that. But me personally, I, I'm having a, a pretty, pretty good pandemic. I know that sounds terrible, but it's the truth. And can you, you know, because, you know, like, as, as, you know, like, I, this this question is pretty much for me you know like the the it's all about kind of trying to know how is one is when one is out balancing the other you know like when, when being too careful and confining people is actually being out balanced by the the state of mind or at least you know like the depression level of the people which i talked to you know like so or at least what they see around them 
would you say that you know like you you feel that you know like it has aggravated things you know like with, with in terms of what you're seeing around you i i would say yes because a lot of folks it's hard for them to go in and, and get centered and, and be comfortable with themselves and and find that inner peace i think a lot of us are looking for it outside of ourselves and when stuff like lockdowns and, and regulations and stuff come into play it's it's hard for them to not have that stimulation going on where for for myself and uh, in my you know my own sobriety i learned early on that uh, i had to to get still and be calm and center and breathe to to be able to take every day as that battle to stay sober and win that battle when I go to sleep and wake up the next day. So I think this is going to sound ridiculously arrogant, but I think my family and, and my loved ones are, are pretty lucky that they've got me around because I'm able to just through my own energy, keep everybody a little more calm and centered and focused. But, but for sure, Alex, everybody's taking a beating mental health wise. Like, it it's tough man like all of a sudden you you know you can't go anywhere and then we just like here and yeah. i know quebec is you guys have been on curfew and stuff and you still is you can't even do crazy <laughs> things like that yeah and 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 we still are and and the the it's it's so odd this morning was um the um subscription of our son to school right like so we had we're moving from one suburb shore to the other suburb shore in June. So we had to go with our son and, you know, like just, it's like, it's an almost an hour drive. And so we go down there and we go there and, you know, like they have like young, really young kids have their mask on. And, you know, like they, I think today was like a, a off day, but you know, like they, they still had like the daycare. And um, so the kid would come in at the door they would take his temperature. They needed to do like the the, the you know like the sterilizing gel, and uh, wash their hands, get that the thermometer in their in their forehead, and but no one could see anyone's face. You know, like so so kids. You know, like you didn't know if they were smiling or not. Uh, you didn't know if they were like really hard to decipher if you know like a kid is sad or happy. You know, like the mask take up like two thirds of their face for God's sake, you know, like it's, it's crazy. And, um, all I could think was Jesus, you know, like, I just hope that by September we're going to at least be rid of that shit. You know, like, you know, like I can't see a five-year-old start school, um, where, you know, like he goes from the freedom of, you know, a like kindergarten or daycare and, and then move on to like, putting a mask and, and, you know, like, anyway, so like for me, it's just so, you know, like it feels traumatic for me, um, just witnessing that, you know, like I'm, I, I can't be just underestimating or overestimating the impact of that in my kid's life. You know, like it's you know, like, there's, for me, there's no way I'm, I'm exaggerating what I think, you know, like is, is so negative about that. Um, 
and it's just it's just nuts you know like it's you know i got i I got out of there i was in shock i was like holy shit like i can't believe you know like they couldn't take their mask off at all and we're walking corridors you know like look all you know like like army of mass kids you know like it was just you know like it, it it gave me chills i'm not a parent alex and i can't imagine what uh what you and your spouse are going through when it comes to that i have some friends that have some kids around uh, your son's age and they feel the same way and i agree like how do how is this going to affect these children 10 years down the road long term yeah like crazy it it's yeah it is frightening and i don't know if our you know appointed officials uh, are even taking stuff like this into account that's what worries me the most you know like are they are they thinking about you know like the um that you know like it, it, it comes back to like my my observation or at least my kind of my internal survey, you know, like the, where, when is one outweighing the other? Um, I mean, I'm, I, you know, like, sure. I don't want my, my dad is 71, you know, like I don't want my dad to be sick and to catch that fucking virus. But at the same time, you know, like that there, there needs to be kind of a line drawn somewhere, you know, and, and you guys have been hit hard on, you know, like the, the measures and, you know, like the, um, Mr. Ford crying last week, you know, like it was just like, holy shit, relax, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, like just keep it, you know, keep it together, buddy. You know, like it's, I get it. You know, like it's, it's a damn bad cold, but it's a fucking cold at the end of the day, you know, like, <laughs> anyways, yeah, you know, that's my you know, the, humble opinion. And right now in Quebec, we have a huge issue where we can't have a dialogue around that. You know, like you're either um, following the guidelines or you're a freaking conspirationist, you know, or, or, you know, like, or, or just a, a lunatic. Conspiracy which, theorist. Yeah. Which is for me, it's just like, come on guys. You're like, it, there's, there's some gray areas here, you know, like, um, anyways, it's just crazy. <laughs> for sure, dude. I, I think, crazy times. I think, uh, A, it's hard to look up to a leader who's bawling his eyes out on TV because he's trying yeah. to walk back from decisions that he made that were uninformed at at best and i'm being as polite as i possibly can when i say that but uh i don't I, there are medical professionals out there that are looking into like the long-term effects of this sort of stuff i know um the doctor who is out in british columbia or bonnie I can't remember her last name. You know, she's definitely been speaking about the mental health uh, impact of, you know, these lockdowns, mask mandates, and and, and specifically how it relates to uh, opioid use. And, and there's not a lot of yep. people out there that are talking about uh, how, how many people are, are dying because of these lockdowns. Uh, I lost a friend last May. He relapsed and he got drunk, uh, hit his head, fell down, hit his head and, and died. And, and the last conversation I had with him was, uh, about three months before that he had relapsed. And I said, Hey dude, you can't call me when, uh, 
when you've already started using, you've got to call me before. I'm not strong enough to help you stay sober and keep myself sober. And he went back into rehab. Then he got sober for a little bit. Lockdowns came in and then he was dead. So I, I can't oh. imagine what what is happening and maybe what we're not even being told by our, you know, the media and, and our elected officials and stuff when it comes to that sort of stuff, like depression, yeah, and I guess suicide. That. Yeah. And that those stats are going to come way later. You know, like we're, we're, oh my God, you know, we didn't know, you know, which is, you know, like, well, that I don't believe that, but you know, like it's going to be a, like a post-mortem observation, especially with journalists that are going to be just, you know, like they're terse for some, you know, um, crazy headliners are going to be just like, you know, like what are going to be talking about when the pandemic, you know, like stops, you know, like they're going to be just like starving for any kind mm -hmm. of shit, you know, like, so, um, and these, this information will come, you know, like they're kind of keeping that on the back burner, I'm guessing, you know, like, so anyways, you know, like I, you know, like it's, it's, it's an interesting and fascinating question I ask, I've been asking for the past 13 months and, and, you know, like it's, it's interesting to hear through the, I don't know, like it's every week. So I'd say like 50 something guests that it's anonymous. Um, people are not witnessing um, actually it's quite the opposite. They're witnessing uh, a degradation of the state of mind of people around them. If, if not additionally their own. So, so, um, I'm just, I'm just so curious and, and am actually, you know, with more empathy than ever around that. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head there, Alex, when you said empathy and that's, I think that's lacking in a lot of, I think it was lacking before the pandemic in, in most folks' lives, but especially since the pandemic, you know, you hear everybody talking about it and how we got to look out for each other and whether you believe in a mask mandate or whether that happens or not, that you should be doing it for, for your neighbor, for your elderly parents and stuff like that. But people just don't seem to really give a shit about anybody but themselves and that's tragic and yeah it's just it's just crazy just crazy <laughs> like i um, wrote in my, let's they, get you go for it dude no, no 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 go ahead i was gonna say about um you were talking about like uh pandemic stats and stuff briefly about journalists going back into it and i wrote about it uh, the epilogue to, to the book when I talked about my friend Mike dying that uh, his death won't be registered or, or logged or recorded as a COVID-19 related death, but it that certainly led to his death. So, you know, like you were saying about journalists, like it'll probably come out a year or two or three from now, like there'll be like these secondary and tertiary causes of death you know not directly related to the this pandemic but the lockdown and the relapse definitely led to my friend dying absolutely and 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 let's not think that you know like it's it's um it is um 
you know, like it is a collateral impact and it, you know, like uh, effect of, you know, like of, of, of the pandemic to someone you know, like, so yeah. So yeah, just, just crazy. You know, like it, it scares, you know, like I'm, 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 you know, like it, it worries me. Yeah. Um, so, um, as I do every week, I want you to, uh, bring me back to, um, the beginning of it all, you know, like kind of the genesis of it all, you know, like it's, it's, and, and you know, like I, I like my guests to, you know, like tell me a bit of a, you know, like of the family uh, picture and, you know, like kind of the dr dressing up, you know, like that, that story with, you know, like the, you know, like the origin and, you know, like sometimes it's, it's their own use or sometimes it's being witness of someone else's using uh, that has impacted their own or influenced their own upbringing. And so bring me back there, JT. So, Alex, I grew up, you know, your upper middle class kid in a family, a suburb of Toronto. My first introduction to alcohol was, at, you know, eight or nine when I would see my parents at parties and stuff. And the more they drank this forbidden I guess we'll call it, I used to call it juice. So this forbidden juice when uh, they would get together and everybody would get louder and, and, and the laughter would get more intense the more they drank and their faces would get red. And, and I couldn't understand because the jokes would get dumber. But the more they drank, the harder they laughed. And then my mom would have a quiet Sunday and, you know, you couldn't make any noise or anything like that because I didn't find out for a few years later that she was hung over. And it intrigued me. I used to uh, get my parents to teach me how to make cocktails. And I, the first time I ever tried alcohol, sneaking a little sip, I was, you know, probably nine or ten. And I thought, this tastes terrible. Why are all the adults still doing it? And got drunk for the first time about 13 and never really looked back. Alcohol was a part of my life, uh, amongst all forms of other drugs, everything from cannabis to, to, to cocaine. And I was, uh, I spent a lot of years in the food service hospitality industry where it was easy for me to, to hide my use because you were serving liquor, wine, and beer, and you were the host of the party every night. So it would be an egregious uh, error for me not to be drinking and partying and stuff. So I did that my entire life up until six and a half years ago. And my best mate had a conversation with me. He had two conversations with me. He's also my business partner. Uh, and he said, hey, man, you know, I'm really worried about you. I think you're going to die if you keep doing this. And I decided uh, to get really wasted one Sunday and wake up on Monday and I would be fine, have a little bit of a hangover and I wouldn't drink and I would see how that went. And about 68, 70 hours later, I was in a taxi on the way to the emergency room because I was dying from withdrawing from alcohol incorrectly. Well, JT, bring me 
We need to slow the tape down. <laughs> okay, sure do. <laughs> um, what's your upbringing like? You know, like you said, there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of alcohol. What was it like? Was it like a party climate? Was it more of a, you know, a crying climate or a violent climate? You know, like what, what, what kind of, you know, like environment was it? No, it was it was not violent. My my parents up until were married up until I was about fifteen, and it was just what happened in our household every Friday and Saturday night. What happened at the cottage? Alcohol was a part of everything, and that is all I saw. And I wasn't allowed to have it, and I wanted it. Yeah, my whether it was a celebration, uh, uh. One of the children's birthdays, a cousin's birthday, a, a funeral, uh, a graduation, a confirmation, a first communion. There was always alcohol present, but there was no violence or or anything like that. Uh, I wasn't a sad kid. I, I had to, you know, like your ABC after school special, you know, s pretty standard suburban upbringing, except I kept being told that I couldn't drink because it was for adults. It was this, this forbidden juice and I wanted it. Siblings? Did, did you have brothers or, or sisters? I have a sister. Yeah. She's uh, three years younger than I am. And for her, she saw the, the adults drinking all the time, you know, wherever we were, uh, my mom especially. And, and she, I think she's probably been drunk maybe three times in her entire life. So she, you know, like uh, there's that, you know, pro it's not a proverb really, but there's that saying that, you know, there's, you know, two, two siblings, one's an alcoholic because their parent drank and the other isn't because their parent drank. So yeah. Jennifer and I are, are that, the, the very definition of that. Yeah. The archetype. Yeah. And, so, um, what was your relation, you know, like that, you know, like I, I ask often that question, but you know, like, what was your relation with authority in general? You know, like that, you know, like, cause um, I asked that, you know, both for, from, you know, like your, your parent perspective, but also um, like the first outside authority that you meet with is, you know, like school. So what was your relation with either of them? Uh, my father, he taught me two things, discipline and respect. So I was, I was pretty lucky that way. Um, where my mom did a lot of the drinking, my father did very little of it because his mother died from cirrhosis of the, the liver. She, my grandma, drank herself to death. But when it comes to to authority and stuff, I always had a healthy respect for it, except for when it came to drinking. You know, I, you know, get get told no so many times. I was like, well. Why can't I do this? I'm then 13 years old. You, I was over at a friend's house and we had a few beers and we totally disobeyed, you know, his parents and said, hey, don't touch any of this this booze. It's for the adults. And we said, fuck that and got drunk. But other than that, my whole life has been centered around uh, like discipline and respect. But I, I lost both of those things when I started using alcohol every single day. 
to the point where I had to stop doing other drugs like cocaine, cannabis, and and other things because it got me too fucked up. So even though my and dad it's taught cool, me, what, I guess probably the same applied to school where before you started using it was it was okay but it got messed by the use of substances yeah i would you know i i started drinking and smoking pretty pretty regularly go like all through high school and everything i got average grades because i didn't want to stand out and mostly i was just focused on you know getting the next buzz you know i was a i was a ninja i was like the the jason born of of hiding my my alcohol and drug use from my parents from from everybody all the way up until you know six and a half years ago people were were shocked that i uh had lost all my discipline and respect because on for myself because on the outside that's what i was all about you know had had a job career you know friends took care of business all that sort of stuff but had none of no discipline or respect when it came to to me when did the rug started to slip uh under your feet you know, like, how old uh, were you probably like 26 27 all the way till like that's when i was drinking at work and it was just i and i was drinking from the moment i woke up until the moment i went to bed and nobody knew and then my father died in december of 2013 and he'd been sick for many years and i drank even more and i can't even believe that that uh, it was possible to drink more than i was drinking and things were pretty just pretty well just went dark for the eight months from december of 2013 to august of 2014 when my best mate had those you know two conversations with me in the span of about two weeks and that's when i decided to uh you know big ego play that i could just get drunk one last time and and then wake up and be sober but the the your father's passing um accelerated that yeah i think i'd been dealing with that for a long time like nearly a decade uh and you know huge weight off my shoulders when he died and then it was just uh it was an excuse that I could be drinking out that I could use to be drinking out in the open. Like my father died. I'm grieving because like I said, you know, alcohol plays such a huge role in our lives and we're so conditioned to be drinking it and using it for every situation. I just went, you know, full throttle and was blind drunk all of the time. So I guess that was the catalyst that really pushed me over to the, the you know the, the precipice to where i was either going to live or die yeah i do ask that question every so often about you know like 
from from what you know like do you remember from you know like from what moment um during that you know like that whole kind of you know like a mess of you know like drinking day over day after day um do you have a memory of you know like kind of waking up starting waking up with you know like that either hangover or not but you know like just um thinking about that this couldn't be you know like a way of living you know like that this doesn't make sense it doesn't you know like it, 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 it it's just too freaking crazy even though you know like you may not have the solution but you know like just having those first thoughts because i remember having those you know like just like being high all the time right like, or being you know like you know like just hung over you know like too often you know i like, can just like that's not that's not fucking normal you know like people don't live like that you know like it, it can't be life um do you have those memories of just like even though you know like i'd say you know like is it you know like I'm, i'm not sure it's even a seed of you know like starting to see some light but you know like i'm guessing that you know like it's, those are first signs that um your brain or your you know like your soul is kind of telling you that you know like something's wrong here i probably had like four of those moments and every time my drunk ego just took over and said you know fuck that I remember a couple of times thinking that if I just, if I switched up my rate of consumption, if I took things out like hard liquor or just drank beer or got off of cocaine or stopped mixing uh, weed and booze, that I would be okay and I could just continue that lifestyle because that was all i knew all i knew was just drinking and that's all i wanted to do I, my my drunk ego was in charge and it didn't care that my body was dying because of it and um do do you remember what you know like you know like the words he used or was it more of a casual you know like You're, you're just fucking killing yourself, GT. You know, like you should stop. You know, like at least slow down on the, you know, like on the binge drinking or, you know, like the, the, were there words that, you know, like you, you know, like has hit you more than, you know, um, or made you realize more? No, the, the, there wasn't a, a single phrase or, or like a, one specific thought that i had when when i thought you know like oh shit you know those past three days were, were pretty crazy i should probably not do that again my thought process was you can keep going if you just tweak your use of these alcohol and drugs and you'll be fine And, um, you said that the second time that, you know, like he told you about that, um, you know, like you, you, you tried stopping or at least you stopped and, you know, like it made you sick and, you know, almost, you know, like to, to, can you, can you bring me back to the, those moments? Um, when Mikey first had the, the, his, the first conversation with me, I was just, you know, I was drunk of course. And. You know, he probably knew. I've known him for 
25 years. Um, he probably knew that I wasn't definitely wasn't as sober as I should be when he had that conversation with me, but mostly my drunk ego was just like, say whatever you think Mike wants to hear. Mike, you'll stop talking and you can just keep on doing what you're doing. Cause you're fine. You're fine. That's drunk ego was just, just kept telling me I was fine. And then two weeks went by, I screwed up something at one of the restaurants that, uh, was, was bad and cost the restaurant a little bit of money. Uh, I had interacted with, with a guest and I had been off work and been drinking and the, the manager on duty was having trouble and I walked over and just was a drunk ass and that's not good for business. And when you're in the hospitality industry, and a couple three days later, Mikey had that second conversation with me and he was like, Hey man, you know, you're really, I'm worried you're going to die, but now you're really starting to make, you know, business hard. So you, you got to make a decision here. And, and I didn't want to let Mikey down and at work and I didn't want to die. So I didn't Google alcohol withdrawal, how to quit nothing because my drunk ego was still in charge it just said well let's try this you know my whole plan was just to you know appease mikey get it under control a little bit and then probably go back to using and that wasn't the case how did you realize that you know like it it was making you sick or well i guess you know like you were sick but you know like that 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 it was you know like you you couldn't take you know like you physically you needed help or medically you needed help um because you couldn't kind of you know like take over or or you know like you weren't recuperating uh from from it so i based my entire recovery get sober strategy around the film train spotting uh it's a film based on the book by Irvin welsh uh, it was directed by danny boyle you might be familiar with it uh, absolutely classic. so yeah classic right so you mcgregor's character uh mark renton he needed to kick heroin locked himself in his room with some soup and some water and basically just cold turkeyed it and he came out okay so that was my point of reference i got all my supplies got wicked drunk for the last time had a taken a couple days off work you know had water everything and by monday night so i got this all took place on a sunday by monday night i knew something was up because i wasn't feeling better and Generally, I knew that uh, from hangovers in the past, when I when I wasn't using all day every day, that I should be feeling better by, you know, the nearly twenty four hours later, and I wasn't. And Tuesday, I just felt worse and worse. I was waking up all over the house, like DTS, like you wouldn't believe hallucinations, uh, knocking myself unconscious because I was 
season and smashing my head on the floor, waking up all over the apartment and then called in sick on Tuesday and Wednesday. And that was something that I never did. I always got myself to work regardless of how drunk I still was or, you know, how hungover I was. And uh, a friend's wife who is in the AA, she called me and said that she was going to come down, pick me up on, on Wednesday evening and take me to one of her meetings. And I lied to her and said, sure, no problem. I'll go with you, of course. And then my mentor, Mikey's older brother, called me and said that he was going to come down and pick me up and bring me to his house. And I was just going to come up there and, and, and basically just dry out because still nobody knew how bad this was because I was lying to everybody. But they had started to kind of figure out that I, you know, just didn't have the flu in August. And then when Lisa called me back to say um, she was coming to pick me up, I was like, oh, no, 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 again, lying. Oh, I'm going to Steve's house. Cause, but I lied to Steve and said that I was going to a meeting with Lisa just to basically get everybody off my back. I had no idea how close to death I was at this point. And then Lisa asked me to describe how I was feeling. And I told her that, you know, I hadn't had a drink since Sunday. I can't keep any water down. I sweating. I'm waking up random places all over the house. I almost drowned in the bathtub. Um, and she said, I needed to get to the emergency room straight away. I could die. And I could tell by the tone of her voice that, you know, she wasn't fucking around. So I was like, okay, well, I should probably take this advice relatively seriously. And like most humans, when you get yourself in a, in a bad way, you call your mom. So I called my mom and said, hey, mom, I'm not really feeling very well. I think I should go to the hospital. And my mom had been drinking that day and she said she couldn't come pick me up, which is, you know, in hindsight, a really good thing because could have been something terrible happened there. So I got into a taxi and when the taxi driver looked at me in the rear view mirror, I knew something was up because he looked like he'd just seen a zombie and he took me to the ER and I walked into ER and said to the triage nurse, after she said, hey, how can I help you? I said, hi, my name's John. I think I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in about three days and I'm not even sure if this is real. And she said, okay, have a seat. And I said, ma'am, I can't sit down because I'm not sure I'll be able to get back up. And within minutes, like right out of a movie scene, I was wheeled into uh, a room and jacked up on IVs, lorazepam to, to mellow me out, stop me shaking. And they saved my life. Wow. Did they tell you what was going on and what, you know, what was happening? Yeah. So basically they told me that, uh, everything was, my whole body was shutting down and, and that, uh, they needed to get fluids into me and like ringers, saline, all that sort of stuff. They were worried that I was going to have a stroke. 
because basically my brain was just eating itself and because I was my, I was so physically dependent on on alcohol and I found out the hard way that if you withdraw from alcohol use and overuse incorrectly you it can kill you so I had a, a doctor you know say to me you know son you're you're in a real bad way but you got here when you did and that's a good thing and you know we're gonna do our best to help you and it wasn't as positive as I would have probably liked it, but he was honest with me. And I was like, okay, I might not make it out of this. And then uh, a nurse came in and she told me that I should close my eyes and try to, to sleep and just let the drugs and all of the, all of the uh, fluids work. And I was hooked up to monitors and stuff. I said, ma'am, I don't, uh, I don't think I, it's a good idea if I sleep. I'm scared uh, that I might not wake up. And she said, well, uh, you're in the right place. We're professionals. We'll, we'll do our best to make sure that, uh, that nothing bad happens and that, that you do wake up. And, and then I passed out. And how long did it take for you to get better? Um, so I started feeling physically better. I was only in, I signed out of the ER against medical advice, uh, about 12 hours later. So from the time I went in to the time I signed myself out, it was only about 12 hours. I was feeling like shit, Alex, believe me. Um, my sister was there scared shitless because it was the same hospital where eight months later, my fa our father had died. So she was freaking out. And I was like, look, I just need to get out of here again. Like, even though I was sober from alcohol, my drunk ego was still in charge and was like, Oh, you're fine. Just go home and everything will be fine. And I, uh, so I signed out and they gave me a prescription for diazepam to take home. And we went to the pharmacy and, and it was, uh, that was a, a total shit show going to the pharmacy at three or four in the morning and getting that filled. And then I just wanted to go home, but my mom and my sister and my brother-in-law wouldn't let me go home because they were worried I was, you know, just going to start drinking all over again and end up dead. The, uh, the do all the doctors and nurses in the ER, they just looked at me with total sadness in their eyes. Like, man, this, this, this dude's going to end up dead or back here in an even worse state sooner than later. So I went to my mom's and went to sleep in her, uh, her spare room, woke up the next morning, and I've never had a drink since. Shit, that's crazy. That's pretty fucked up, eh? It is. Um, what was the plan then? You know, like, I mean, on top of, you know, like a lot of people, and I would say like it's almost unanimously um, st stop stopping to drink and to use is not the, you know, like it's it's pretty much like, um, you know, like a Band-Aid on, on something else. Um, what was the plan for you in terms of, you know, like, um, taking care of yourself and, uh, you know, like 
how did you end all that or how, you know, like what was your, um, did you have any, any outputs on which, you know, like you could rely on or you taught about, you know, or you planned on going, you know, like I, I come from, you know, like the 12 step meetings, but, you know, but I went to therapy, you know, like coming out of the hospital and, you know, like being just like, you're, you, you know, like you're already winging it. Um, what was that the plan then? There was no plan, Alex. There was literally count to seven, breathe, don't drink. And that's what I had to, I had to break it right on down to count to seven. Because I came up with that when I was, I don't even know, in my late teens, because I taken a bunch of acid and I thought I was going to trip balls and go into another dimension. And I tried counting to 10 and that was too scary. It took too long. So I counted to nine. That was also too scary. Counted to eight. That was too scary. Counted to seven. That kind of worked because if I counted to like three, it wasn't long enough. So I settled on seven. So somehow I remembered back to that and just decided that uh, I would just literally, I would count to seven, take a deep breath and not drink. And I was okay with that being literally the rest of my life if I didn't die. I decided when I was in the ER that I didn't want to die and I would give sober living a try and I had no idea how to go about it. I went to one AA meeting about two weeks later and I walked out of there so upset and depressed that I almost relapsed. Why which, is that? Because it, there was just this, uh, I could just feel the, the despair and the, the desperation and, and the couple of the people that were sharing um and i was just like holy crap like like i can't go out like that and i i didn't feel like you know any of that positive sense of community that you see my only experience with the aa and and 12 step groups was you know from film and television so i i, I didn't get any of that uh, I didn't share and I just left. I thought, man, I, I can't go to this, these meetings, you know, once, twice, three, four, seven times a week, you know, I'll, I'll end up relapsing. So I walked home about six kilometers because I was worried that I would drive to a liquor, wine or beer store and, uh, I went to uh, Tim Hortons, got a green tea and some snacks, and I walked down to the lake and I sat there because I lived in a two-story walk-up above a pub. So I had to wait till after last call, which in uh, Ontario was, was 2 a.m. And then I went home and I didn't drink and I won that battle and I got up the next day and, and did it again. But I had no, no plan. No idea. I, I had no, except for Lisa, who was a 12-stepper. And I, I, 
I had I didn't know anybody who was sober. I just like just did it because I, I relied on that discipline and that respect that my father taught me, you know, before I lost it. And that that was all it came down to. I basically flipped the switch on that I had broken off using drugs and alcohol and I that switch turned into if anything is if alcohol is so good for me why did it try to kill me when I stopped drinking alcohol is poison it doesn't belong in my body I don't drink it so that became part of that you know count to seven take a breath don't drink I basically just duct taped all all this stuff together and it's been working so far and I'm sitting here talking to you, Alex. What is, um, based on that, you know, like what, what is the healthy diet of, you know, like, it, you know, especially, you know, like there, you know, like it, it, it fascinates me that, you know, like you, there's, um, you're, you're kind of writing your own guidebook, you know, like you're, you're, you're writing, um, your own personal, um, you know, um, healthy recipe to stay sober and to, you know, to keep your sanity. Um, you know, you know, like, have you developed a routine? Have you developed some, some, some good habits? Um, yeah. I mean, like, is there like a, um, like a, not a step-by-step, -step, but your own step-by-step? I plugged stuff in and and then unplugged things that didn't work for me. So I plugged in AA, granted, just for, for that one meeting. And I said, that that doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm not feeling that. So I unplugged that. I, you know, breathing, breath work, meditation, uh, two and a half years into it, I switched my diet to whole food plant-based uh, a year later i plugged in physical fitness so the first couple of years i just had to learn how to do life sober i went to work so that was like wednesday got out of the er thursday just chilled at home my mom drove me home uh friday uh wait wednesday thursday yeah. friday i went back to work in the restaurant and mikey was there and he was like you know dude what are you doing here and i was like well man if i if i if i can't get through one one day of work around all this liquor wine and beer then i might as well just relapse and die because you know this is my career this is our business this is what we got to do and i did it and i just kept doing it and kept on breaking things down if I started to feel overwhelmed or, you know, that I used to call it the monster, you know, the, 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 the addiction monster. If it started to creep up and I, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't control it, I would literally break it down to count to seven, breathe, don't drink. And I would take myself out of whatever situation it was. There were a couple times where I just rolled into one of the restaurants. Um, we had four restaurants at the time, three restaurants at that time. And uh, 
I just turn around and go home and do the opposite of what I did the the last day I, I drank. Uh, I would just, you know, go into my room and shut it down, meditate, breathe, sleep, and did that for a couple years. And then I thought that uh, I kept feeling like I could feel better. And I had a friend who's whole food, plant-based, and she said, you know, why don't you, you know, start cutting things out of your diet? Started doing that. And I've been a whole food, plant-based eater for four and a half years now. And then physical fitness as well. So I didn't, uh, I was paranoid about cross-addicting um, to just about anything. Like whether it was masturbation, porn, Phys- like working out, you know, because I, I read a lot of Quit Lit. I uh, watched a lot of uh, YouTube. Uh, I finally plugged into that resource after I got sober as opposed to before and probably would have saved me from having to go through that whole nearly dying ordeal. And I wrote a book called I Forgot to Stay Sober, How I Nearly Died Kicking My Addiction to Alcohol. That was... uh that was cool. It's a cautionary tale, basically just about what I went through. So that was somewhat cathartic because I figured I, it'd be best to to try to help, you know, at least one person not go through what I went through. But basically just plugged in stuff and, and took stuff out. I said to my family and friends, you know, when it came to dinner parties or whatever situations where alcohol would normally be present, I said, look, I don't want any of you guys to change your, your lifestyle. Uh, if I can't fit into whatever it is, then I'll take myself out of it. And I would show up a little bit later and I would leave a little bit earlier. And now I've got friends, you know, get wasted, do cocaine around me and doesn't even phase me. Do you have sober friends, though? Do you have people that, um, you know, either have stopped by inspiration or uh, being inspired by you or um, people that you know that are not using? I don't have any sober friends that aren't through the sober community online. My spouse's family uh her father never drank his whole life because of what he saw happen in uh in his family uh so a lot like my sister um my spouse doesn't drink she's she probably has like five drinks a year so um that's all just because it makes her feel like crap so but i don't have any addict uh friends or friends that are in active recovery that have uh any idea about what i went through uh well unless they read the book but i do have a couple sober friends online built a little community like that uh, especially since the book came out so i just uh said like i said relied on like youtube quit literature and myself i just went in like you know i went into the into the basement into the into the corners of you know my my brain and 
dealt with all the, you know, all did all the shadow work, forgave myself for all the shitty things that I did and and stuff like that. And, and like I said, I just duct taped it, keep moving forward, never quit, never give up. Man, that's that's a crazy story. Um, do do are you you know like do you have like I don't know like either virtual or you know like um, mentors that you know like you you feel that you know has inspired you? Um, do 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 you have that? You know like is there um, people or or books that has uh, inspired you that you you feel um, you you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, like specific authors in the, the sobriety space. Uh, I've taken a lot of things, like a lot of bits and pieces from them. Uh, one of the biggest books that had a huge impact on me right when I got sober was reading Marcus Luttrell's Lone Survivor. Uh, story of, uh, you know, his... He's a Navy SEAL. It was a operation that went sideways, and he he lost all the three other guys that were uh, in his team, and he survived. And you know, I, I a lot of stories like that. Uh, I read David Goggins' book, "You Can't Hurt Me," that uh, you know about what he went through, and just stuff like that that inspired me. Paul Henderson is a mentor of mine. Uh, He's the dude that scored the goal in 72 against the Russians. Uh, you know, one of his uh, his his mantras is uh, like, finish strong. So that's what I try to do every day. And in, in every task that I do, I always try to finish strong. Uh, I belong to uh, one of his mentorship groups through Leader Impact. And now I just, I think... I've got to be that one to to inspire other people to to be the best people that they can be. And you know, if they're looking to to me to as a cautionary tale, uh, you know, when it comes to redefining their relationship with alcohol, then then I, I'm there for them because you know, going back to my my friend who died, you know, I was I let him down because. I wasn't strong enough then a year ago to to help him and keep myself sober. So now I've I've figured out how to do that like be there for other folks and uh and keep myself sober and just trying to give back now having these conversations with with you Alex, you know, if one person in your audience comes across this and 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 here's what we're talking about and reaches out to one of their loved ones. Like my best mate, Mikey reached out to me and you know, they can help uh, save a life, help someone redefine their relationship with alcohol and not, uh, not have to go through what I did because it fucking sucked. Well, JT, this was um, a great conversation. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I get inspired by, you know, like I, my father actually was, you know, um, the one that, you know, got me into therapy. Like I didn't know where to fucking go, you know, like, and, and 
stopping <laughs> didn't didn't seem as an option at the time. You know, it didn't didn't look like a, a potential option at the time. And so, um, what you, you know, like what you just demonstrated to me is that you know, like you, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. You know, like that. You know, like it, it was just like okay. I need to fucking stop that. And you know, like it's killing me and whatever happens, happens. And, um, I'm impressed by that. You know, I am absolutely impressed by that. Um, well, yeah. thanks dude. I mean, like and thank, I thank your father too for, for helping you get through it, man. Cause 16 years, that's, that's a long time, dude. And the it was, you know, like I would say that, you know, like it, you know, like while it was all on him to, you know, like inspire me, um, actually to just, you know, like push me in that direction, it's now all on me, um, to make sure that I, you know, like I, I honor, you know, like that, I honor, that I honor that. Um, that's a big piece. But at you, the same you time, there, you, know, like yeah. it's, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a day to day, uh, responsibility, which doesn't weigh, you know, like I, 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 there's no weight in that. You know, like there's no, there's no, uh, I don't feel any pressure on my shoulder around that. You know, like on the contrary, you know, like I see my father every week and he actually is just like, uh, impressed and, you know, like he's, he's, he's grateful that, you know, like we, you know, like. I say we found a solution to that. Um, but yeah, you know, like you did it on your own, man. You know, like it's just, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's crazy. And, um, and I thank you for, you know, like sharing that story with us. Um, you know, like I'm super, um, super happy that you did. Um, I, I invite people to, uh, and you know, like everything, you know, like everywhere we can find JT and, you know, like all, you know, like his book and all that, you know, like our, you know, all these links are provided in the description of the episode. So if you just scroll down, you're going to find it there. Um, but you know, like maybe you can share with us, um, where you can be found on Instagram or any of the social media on which you are active. So, well, Thank you for those kind words, Alex. I, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you having me on. And uh, you, you're doing great work, my friend. Thanks. And uh, I, I think that uh, the more conversations that you're out there having with, with folks, it, it, it can't help but help other folks. But I'm at JT Wahlberg on all platforms. So JT Wahlberg? Yep. Um, everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Website is jtwalberg.com. Uh, Facebook, I'm not very active on at all, but uh, Instagram is at jtwalberg, W-A-H-L-B-E-R-G, like uh, Donnie and Mark Wahlberg and Wahlbergers. Perfect. F free right. pl free so like plug I said, for the for, restaurant. For, yes. I. You know, well, um, actually, like some of the, great songs of my teens uh <laughs> oh for sure i was just listening to a, a 90s hip-hop playlist and uh, uh they came out well <laughs> yeah, mark well, marky mark and the funky bunch came on but it was not yeah. the good vibrations track it was the one where they uh covered uh lou reed's walk on the wild side absolutely yeah great I songs like, i was like oh damn <laughs> i remember that song 
and and again, you know, like you just scroll down and you know, like don't 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 pause the podcast for you know grabbing pen and paper. Just scroll down. You're gonna find it uh, below in the description. Um, JT's gonna send all of these links my way. So, um, and uh, for that, I thank you for your time, uh, JT. Really, really appreciated you be part of that project that I that that drives me um, for the past few years, and um, it's been uh, it's been a great time. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Alex. Take care. Bye now. Bye.